couple of weekends ago, my family and I were at an Erie Seawolves game on a Saturday evening, enjoying just time together as a family. We watched the game for quite a while, and as uh, the game was going on, there was a little bit of a drizzle in the air. So we ended up moving slightly back from our seats underneath the, the covering of the canopy. As the, the rain continued to pour, the evening got a little bit more cool. Uh, Julie and the kiddos and I decided it was time to leave. And as we, we left, we went down and around the stadium. My wife, who is very frugal and will save every dollar that she can find the opportunity to save, did it that evening and parked us in a back parking lot that no attendant was watching in a dark section behind the stadium. As I got into the car, thinking, boy, this is a unique parking spot and location, I pulled out my key and turned the ignition, and the next thing I heard was click, click, click. And those of you that are laughing know exactly what was going on. And so I did what every good father does in front of his children. I said, okay, I know the problem. And I popped the hood and got out around the car, opened the hood of the car, and did the inquisitive look. Yeah, uh-huh. There, yeah, that engine looks pretty clean. But to make things look really good, I jiggled a couple of things. I don't know what I was jiggling. There was some hoses there and that type of a thing and said, okay, this should fix the problem. And I talked to our firstborn, Jordan, who was home for the weekend, and I said to her, why don't you start the car up now, confidently speaking. Click. 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 And then I heard her say something along the lines of, Dad, are the lights supposed to fade in the car? Oh, the dreaded dead battery. No warning whatsoever. I had started that car several times that day as we had been out and around. And uh, so there was no warning whatsoever that the battery was on its way out. As that happened, my heartbeat just goes beating. My blood pressure was up. And I'm looking around saying, we are in downtown Erie in a back city parking lot and I have no way to get this car started. I'm looking around, not a person in sight. Now, come on, you're in Erie, right? We're in the city of Erie. There's people always around. But as I'm looking around, there's nobody around. And so my wife says to me, she said, Jim, how about you get some help? <laughs> now, dads, right? That's the last thing we ask for. Directions we don't ask for, and help we don't ask for. We do it ourselves, right? So Julie goes down her way. She's going to go find some help, and she has raised our daughters so well. And they, they're going, they're looking for help, and I'm standing there still looking at an engine that I don't know what to do with. Lo and behold, uh, the Seawolves game finishes. I'd hoped to be home and in bed by this point in time, but it was finished. And there was a young lady that ends up walking by. And my great females decide to ask for help. Now, I'm, I'm listening to this thing saying, yeah, please help, please help, please help. And, and they asked this lady, this young female, and they said, is there any, by any chance a way that you can help us start our car? And she says, hey, she says, my dad 
has prepared me for this type of situation. And she opens her back trunk, and here I am, the dad of my family, not prepared for this situation. And she pulls out a battery jump pack, and she walks over to our car and says, here, this will start it. <laughs> but I believe God wanted me to use this for a sermon illustration today. So I connect the pieces together, little sparks show that there's battery stuff happening. Stuff, that's my, that's my technical term, battery stuff happening. I didn't get shocked, so I said to Jordan, I said, go ahead, turn the car. Click click, click. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This was the magic silver bullet type of a thing. And, and she says, oh, that's okay. The girl says, she said, uh, there's enough juice left in it. I had used it a little bit ago. And I'm like, oh, so I turn on the battery meter for the jump pack and it's like red zone, right? It's like dead type of a thing. And so up again, blood pressure is going up. And I'm like, we're stuck here. And the girl says something, she says to us, she says, that's okay. She says, my boyfriend's here, and I know he's prepared. Oh. <laughs> she gets on the phone, calls her boyfriend, who is, who is one of the maintenance people for the Seawolves. He comes on over about 10 minutes later, pulls out this jump cable thing, and I'm like, there's no way this thing's going to hit, and it did, but it did. Within an inch, it was the perfect size. It didn't have to move the vehicle, and within a few moments, boom, we're off and running again. These two people, yeah, we can clap for them. I don't know if they're here. If you're here, thank you for your help, and that received that clap. But in the midst of that, I saw something that we're going to be looking at today. They were kind. They weren't rushed. They were very much encouraging throughout the process. In fact, the, the guy says to me, he says, hey, are you a season ticket holder? And I said, hey, I'm a pastor. What do you think? <laughs> and, and he goes back to his car, and he says, here, he says, take these. And he had five employee voucher tickets that he gave to us so that everyone in the family could go see another ball game. Yeah. Went above and beyond. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, you'll see how this turns uh, or comes to completion here. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now that night, my family and I were the recipients of what the Bible calls mercy. This man and woman's compassion for our family and our situation was incredible. Their, their compassion was expressed in genuine help, help that actually meant something. They didn't just pat us on the back and say, boy, I hope that battery gets better. We'll see you later. They stayed around and made sure that we were taken care of. And this is a great way for us to understand the, the major characteristic of the mercy that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. Putting our compassionate feelings towards others' situations into meaningful action. Do you get that? It's not just that I feel bad for somebody's situation. It's not that I just talk about somebody's situation. It's that I see with the eyes of Jesus and actually do something about their situation. 
Now, in the case of this particular uh, time of assistance that we had received, Julie had asked me, she said, hey, can we give this girl some money for just as a thanks for her help? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Over the course of our time in trying to get the car started, we found out that this girl makes tips at the Seawolves for her job. And it was a lousy night. It was cold. It was rainy. And she didn't make much money that evening. And as a result of her taking the time to get to know us and help us out of our situation, Julie was able to hand her some money to help her that night. She was blessed. She actually received a tangible blessing for her help. Now, as Jesus is talking about mercy here, we need to understand something. Mercy in the time of Jesus's sermon of Matthew chapter 5 was something that was totally contrary to culture. In fact, you can, you, if you consider the two major influences of society in Jesus's day, they were, number one, the Romans. And when you think about the Romans, what do you think of? Roman military, right? You think of Colosseum. You think of the brutality of the gladiators. The average Roman's thought process was that if you were weak, you didn't deserve to thrive in life. So in other words, they were not a compassionate people. In fact, Roman society was so merciless that the culture of the day, when the dad would have a baby that was born into the family, the dad could give a signal, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Thumbs up, hey, we're going to keep this baby. Thumbs down, the baby is executed by way of drowning. It was a culture that had very little compassion. So when Jesus is speaking the words of blessed are the merciful, he is speaking something that is totally contrary to the culture of that day. I mentioned the Romans. What about the religious of course, the religious of the day, the Pharisees, the priests, they were so caught up in the legalism of religion that they often overlooked the heart of people in order to focus on the letter of the law. Both government and religion had failed to touch the hearts and meet the needs of the people. Both systems had failed to consider humanity through the lens of mercy. But Jesus, but Jesus, his kingdom mindset, his mode of operation was different. He was on a mission to introduce God's kingdom to this earth in mercy. And by such, Jesus was declaring that the kingdom of God would work contrary to anything that the people had experienced from the Romans and the religious. And that if humanity would embrace God's kingdom, his principles, they would find themselves in a privileged state of experiencing God's blessings. We know this, though, don't we? 
If you've been in church any length of time, you know these teachings that we are to love God and love others. And we know that the, the loving of God is demonstrated in the loving of others and that loving of others isn't just the, the talk is cheap type of format. And so as I was preparing this particular word for today, this message, the thought kept coming to my mind, how are we doing? How are we doing, church, followers of Jesus Christ? How am I doing in this area? In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, this is the story of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's an interesting parable in that Jesus is making very clear to us who it is that we are to demonstrate mercy to, who it is that we are to love. If you remember this particular parable, there is an expert in the law that comes to Jesus who calls him a teacher, and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, what is written in the law, he replies, how do you read it? And he answers, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answers. He says, you've replied or answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Sounds like some of us, right? So we get this opportunity to show compassion to people. We get this opportunity to demonstrate God's love. And in the back of our minds, we're finding these mental loopholes or these heartfelt loopholes that maybe we can say, yeah, but that person should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They should get on with life. They need to learn this lesson. If I help, I'm just going to be contributing to their continued delay in development. Don't raise your hand, but has anybody been there? Right? I had opportunities for mercy preparing or uh, showing up this week. I'm preparing a message on mercy, and I found myself in various situations asking myself those type of loophole questions. And every time I asked myself that loophole question, it was, God, please forgive me, because you haven't asked me to qualify their needs. So back to this particular parable, Jesus brings up this particular aspect of uh, bringing the religious, bringing those people that know better into a situation where they can help. And, and the person at the end of this parable that has no religious context, has no significant value in society, is found to be the one that demonstrates the mercy that God is talking about. I want to draw your attention to something that we often overlook in this particular parable. Do you remember what the original reason that the expert in the law asked Jesus the question for? What was his original question around? It was, what must I do to inherit life, eternal life? The man is essentially asking Jesus, what do I need to do to get the blessing of eternal life? And Jesus' answer was, love God and love others. Now, why didn't Jesus just stop there? Why didn't he just leave it alone? Why did he have to go into the parable? Because he could read 
the man's heart. And this is why this story is recorded for us. He could read the man's heart. He exposed his heart. And Jesus is essentially saying there are no loopholes to these commands. Love God and love others. And if you're going to claim to love God, to truly love him, then we had better love the people he created as well. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. I want to read this particular passage because it is a passage that we have got to get into our souls. We've got to get it into our hearts. It's the type of passage that will motivate us to be people of mercy. 1 John 3, 16. I'll be reading out of the NIV. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity, the New Living Translation translated as compassion or mercy, but has no pity on them, then how can the love of God be in that person? Do you see this? Do you see the problem we face when we don't operate in mercy? We say that we're followers of Jesus Christ. We say that we love God, but our actions can say otherwise. Think about this. When was the last time you tangibly helped somebody? You tangibly helped them in an act of mercy. Jewel and I were faced with a, that question here the other day as we were talking to somebody else, and they had some expectations that people would be doing certain things for them, and Julie was wise enough to ask the question, you know, when was the last time that you actually did that for somebody else? A couple of years ago. Folks, we need to be a people who are demonstrating God's love. Verse 18 of 1 John 3. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I believe if Jesus was sitting here today preaching this particular sermon, he'd throw something in like this. Talk is cheap. Real love, love that motivates our mercy gifts is not just talked about on a Sunday morning every once in a while, but rather it is demonstrated through our everyday life. How serious is this? It's the difference between life or death. Remember, mercy brings us into the blessings of God. God's mercy was demonstrated to us in that Jesus Christ was sent to this earth to die upon a cross because God was looking at the humanity that he had created, the humanity that chose to rebel, and he looked at us with the desperate heart, the eyes of compassion that only the Father can have, and he said, something must be done. And he just didn't sit, praise God, on the throne and say, something must be done, and then twiddle his thumbs. He sat on the throne and said, what will take care of this situation? And he looks upon us, and he says, only the blood of my son, the pure 
pure and spotless land, my son Jesus Christ can do something for this humanity. And as he's looking upon us in the eyes of mercy that only the Father can have, he says to his son, Jesus, I need you to do something that's going to cost you your life. But as it costs you your life, it's going to bring life to so many more. And praise God, he did that for us. As I look to myself in this particular message, I recognize that when it comes to demonstrating mercy to others, to others or other people. The mercy opportunities never show up at a convenient time. Amen? Let's face it, my situation with the car situation, that girl had had a long day and she wanted to go home, but she spent the next half hour with us, delayed in getting home. When I look at the, the opportunities that I have to demonstrate mercy, I can't ever think of one that has shown up in alignment with my calendar. I can't ever think of one that has just been, hey, man, this is the, the hour or the window of opportunity that I have. I was waiting for this opportunity to demonstrate mercy. It doesn't ever seem to line up with what's convenient for me. So what do I do? How do I engage in these opportunities for mercy. I admit there's times that I miss some of them. And I ask God for his forgiveness because he is always reminding me of that. Not as a, a mean father, but as teaching opportunities of, hey, mister, you missed that. And so what I do, and even this morning as I was up before the Lord in prayer, I'm asking God, show me the opportunities that you have before me. And God, if you think I'm going to miss them, I'm not going to take offense to you tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Mr., here's the opportunity I'm giving you today. If you've been in any of my group's classes or any of my teaching, you know that that is often something that we bring up. We take a look at life through a new lens, through a new set of eyes, through the eyes of Jesus. And we look at life and we say, God, allow me to see the ordinary in the extraordinary. So where I'm saying, God, show me the opportunities. That's an incredible way for us to start to break out of our patterns where we may be missing opportunities to demonstrate mercy. I had a beautiful example of this here. A couple of months ago, I was in Victoria, Texas, working with a, a group of men from this church and, and, a, and a woman and, and a couple women as well. And as we were working in the hot Texas sun one day, we got separated up into different projects, which was fine. Our team was prepared for that. But I got stuck on a project that just seemed to be taking forever. Forever. You know that deal, right? As I was taking uh, the, 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 the beating of the sun and listening to the problems that we were having, things just weren't coming together the right way. I was watching the clock ticking. And as I saw our time that we were supposed to be complete pass, I recognized that the other teams had already been completed and they were already in motion for the evening activities of which we were to be coming together on. But the a couple guys that were still at this particular project, we were pushing through and we were jammed up. And I mean, we just were, we were jammed up. And I've got to tell you, Pastor Jim is the Achilles heel in these types of trips. Yeah. Technically, I can be a challenge. But wouldn't you know it, one of our brothers from our team pulls up in his truck. 
he gets out of the truck. He wasn't there on that project that day. He had done his own project, done his own work, had done his work well. And as he gets out of the truck, he had already been showered. He had already been clothed for the evening. He was already in dress-down shoes, sandals to be exact. Had his little hat, and as he's coming on over, he says, hey, what's up? Told him what the problem was. We, we shared the situation. He could evaluate it. And the next thing I know, this person is already dressed, who's already been showered, who's already been cleaned up from the day. He's got sawdust all over him as he's sawing, as he's making dimensions, as the Texas sun is still on him. He's starting to drip with the sweat, and he is pushing through for the next hour and a half with us, not even once considering himself. What was he doing? He was demonstrating mercy to me and the team that was there. And he was saying, I care about you and I want to see you back where you need to be. And so I'm going to help you the best that I can out of that situation. That is a demonstration of mercy. As we demonstrate mercy, I want you to consider the long-term effects of mercy. The long-term benefits. You see, mercy, we can still in our society today look at people as being weak and putting our judgmental faces on towards them. But remember that mercy can make a difference for eternity. Remember that we have been shown mercy. So I remember at times when I start to get into my judgmental self, that, hey, mister, you didn't have your act all together either. Yet God demonstrated his mercy as he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross. God demonstrated his mercy as he put people in my path. God demonstrated his mercy as he allowed people like my wife to show forgiveness. We need to remember that mercy has been demonstrated to us. And if we're going to move forward in blessing people in a merciful mindset, in a merciful action, then we need to take on the same example of Jesus. How? Guess what? Comes to the heart. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Back at the Sermon on the Mount, it's no, no, there's no doubt for the placement of this particular passage where Jesus now says, but blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You see, mercy is motivated by a heart that is following God. And because of God's mercy demonstrated in our lives through Jesus Christ, we can now operate in mercy with a clean heart. How do I get it? We talk about a, lot, a lot about the clean heart, don't we? We see Jesus mention it, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I don't believe Jesus is saying figuratively either. Jesus is saying, you have a clean heart, you have a pure heart, you will see God face to face. We know that that will be in heaven. How do I get this clean heart? When I think about the clean heart, I often go back to Psalm 51. And as I go back to Psalm 51, I love this particular passage because King David has royally screwed up, no pun intended, with him. He has screwed up in the area of adultery, in the area of murder, in the area of lying, in the area of damaging his relationship with God. 
And many times we can find ourselves in that position where we need to ask for that clean heart. Psalm 51 says in verse 7, David's prayer to God, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Why do I like this passage? Pastor Nicole has a, an object lesson for me. Thank you. I was able to break into the biology lab of very first Christian academy here the other day. Actually, I didn't break in. I just made a few phone calls. And a great staff from Erie First Christian Academy says, hey, Pastor Jim, we do have something that you can use. Of course, this is a, what do they call that, anatomically correct? I don't know. What, 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 it's correct, okay? So imagine, it's my heart right there, right? So life-size type of a heart. And so King David is saying, God, I need you to create in me a clean heart. Why is he asking for that clean heart to come from God? I have meditated on that passage for years. Why, David, are you asking for the clean heart? And it's obvious. Because we can only see so much of our hearts. We can be deceitful when it comes to our heart. Saying, hey, I took care of this problem, and I took care of this problem. The rest of the heart's good. King David recognized this fact as well, that if he was to be in right relationship with God, he needed God to come in and clean his heart. Because just like the masterful surgeon can do when he opens up our chest for an open heart surgery and get into the intricacies, King David knew that God could open up the heart and see all the recesses of the heart. So if we are to operate in a pure heart, we must ask God to show us all that he sees in our heart. Because how many of you recognize that God can see it all? I'll never forget the time when I was, I was praying before the Lord one day. And I was asking God, and I, I know I've used this example before, but it was so meaningful to me. I was praying before him, and I was asking God to set the world on fire. I was asking him to, to bring his word alive in my life. I was asking him to use our ministry. And all the while, as I'm sitting there asking him, he reminded me of a couple of things. And he says, why have you put a mask on? Why have you put a mask on? Immediately, you know when God speaks to you, sometimes those questions, they have so much, it's so much more that's behind that question. And what I recognized was that I wasn't being honest with God. I was praying the things that I knew he wanted to hear. I was serious about the things in ministry. I was serious about this stuff. But he was saying, hey, mister, there are some areas of your heart that you have got to get cleaned up before me. And you put a mask over those things. You've hidden them from yourself, but you cannot hide them from me. David prays this in Psalm 51 because he recognizes that he can put a mask over it and if ordered for him to have a clean heart before God, he needs God's hand at work in all areas of that heart. Our final passage that I want to bring us to today comes in the book of 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Another incredible passage that I just hold on to. And it's this action step 
If we're to be a people that are going to show mercy to others that is meaningful in the name of Jesus Christ, if we're to be motivated in the purity of heart of which we will see God face to face, then we need to ask him to clean our heart. But here's the promise. When we pray it, we must recognize that we are being washed entirely. First John tells us this here in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's the mask that God was talking to me about. But if we confess our sins, we bring them up, we expose them before God. And here's, a, here's another thing I've learned over the years. God, is there any area of my heart that I am no longer aware of? How many of you know you can become so familiar with sin that you don't even recognize it, right? Yeah, thank you, brother. Yeah, I'm not the only one in the room. That I will say, Holy Spirit, will you reveal my heart so that I can confess it before God? Do you think he would deny that prayer? If we are taking the time to be with God, if we are des desiring to go deeper into relationship with him, if we are to love God and to love others as Jesus was teaching, the, the teacher of the law then you better believe that if we come to the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, that he will reveal those things. And so then when I come into 1 John 1 and I see a verse like uh, 8, I'm saying, God, I, I can recognize I'm deceiving myself. But then I come to verse 9. If we confess my sins or our sins, then he, being God, is faithful, just, will forgive us our sins, and guess what? Purify us. Purify us of all unrighteousness. Folks, today is an opportunity for us to ask God to purify our hearts. Today is an opportunity where we ask God to expose our hearts. Show us the areas of hidden sin. Show us the areas that we have closed off to God. Show us what you see, God. And when we do this, God will allow us to bring it before him, to bring it under the blood of Jesus, and wash you white as snow. There is hope in this. So today we've, we've looked at this area of mercy. Do not walk out of here today and ignore the needs around you. But walk out of here today with fresh perspective. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask God to, to, to give us again that perspective of the ordinary becoming the extraordinary. As we walk out of here today, I know Texas Roadhouse, where's my brother Dan? Yeah, I know Texas Roadhouse is calling you. He, he told me ahead of the service, he said, how long are you going to be today? I've got a steak waiting for me at Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> About right, right, Dan? <laughs> Texas Roadhouse serves till late into the night. <laughs> but in all seriousness, put the temporary aside for a moment and allow the eternal to take root. Allow God to cleanse your heart. Dads, Today's a day that's all about you. 
And I recognize that as dads, there have been some times and some decisions that we have made over life that maybe we're not so proud of. We've heard a lot about the love of the Father. Well, let the love of God cleanse your heart today. My brother Tom talked about a a ripple effect. Dads, when your heart is aligned with God, you know what the percentages show? That the family's hearts become aligned with God? They're incredible. Folks, today, you may not be a dad, you may be a mom, you may be a sister, you may be a son that's growing up. Allow God to cleanse your heart. Don't miss this opportunity to get right with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the the reminder today that you have called us to be a people of mercy. So, Father, as we walk out of this place here today, help us to see others with your eyes. And, God, may we minister in the name of Jesus in tangible ways today. Allowing the ordinary to become the extraordinary because you're moving through our lives. And Lord God, I also pray this morning for for those that may have had a mask on their heart for quite some time. Lord, would you just clean us? Clean us, Lord God. Purify us so that we can one day see you face to face so that we can one day wrap our arms around you as our Father and whisper, I love you, Daddy. Father, today for that person that is hurting, it's people that may be hurting, either due to poor father relationship in their life or maybe just being just far away from you, Lord, I pray that, that right now that they would sense your presence that you would give them the boldness to come to talk to one of us pastors. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.